Last week, uh, we studied 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through about 7. And we saw it was a, a difficult passage. It was detailing how the, first, the Corinthian church was to deal with the case of acute, ongoing, unrepentant sin. It was an extreme case of sin. It was blatant. It was uh, shocking even to non-Christians in the community. And the Corinthian church was just embracing it and even boasting about it. And so we saw how Paul wrote to the Corinthian church how they should address it. Uh, this week, we're going to continue, we're going to finish his thought. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 5, mainly verses 9 through 13. And this deals more in a general way with how we as the church should approach ongoing unrepentant sin among us. Um, we need a general culture among our church and the church at large, in which ongoing unrepentant sin is just incompatible. It stands out, it's weird, it's noticeable, and it's dealt with. Uh, We need just to be developing that kind of general culture among us, where we love each other enough and know each other well enough, where none of us are susceptible to falling into ongoing unrepentant sin. Uh, We're just too spiritually naked before each other. We're just too exposed. We just know each other too well. We're just too engaged in each other's lives. That's what we want to develop among us. Before we read our primary passage, though, I want to read the verses that come right before it, and these will remind us of just how important this is and how serious a topic this is. So let's read. This is not going to be projected, um, so follow along with me if you have your Bible. 1 Corinthians 5, verses 6 through 8. Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So the the big idea there is, remember, sin, if allowed in you personally or, or in your local church or in the greater church, if allowed, it will spread. It will expand and fill every available crevice. It will permeate the entire lump, the entire um, church. So, for one thing, it's really dangerous to allow it. And then secondarily, remember, you actually are unleavened. You have been made pure and clean in Jesus Christ. So it's really dangerous, and it's just not who we are. In Jesus, we're free from sin. We don't have to accept ongoing unrepentant sin. We're free from that. So we talked about that last week, and I just wanted to start the sermon with that to set the tone that that this is really dangerous and it's unnecessary. That we must and we can create a culture among us where ongoing unrepentant sin is just, it just doesn't happen. So with that in mind, we'll read verses 9 through 13. This is our main passage for the morning. Paul writes, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers, or idolaters, Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone 
who bears the name of brother, if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reveler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Now, the first thing I want to point out to you from the passage is that we must associate with the ongoing unrepentant sinners of the world. We must associate with the ongoing sinners of the world. We must have to do with them. Look back at the first couple of verses here, 9 and 10. I wrote to you in my letter, so he, this is not his very first letter to the Corinthians. There was at least one prior one, and he's referring to that, and they must have had some misunderstanding from it because now he needs to clarify. He said, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. So they must have misunderstood, and while they were embracing ongoing sin within the church, they must have been somehow shunning sinners outside of the church. We, like the Corinthians, have never been told, have nothing to do with sinners of the world. God has never told us to not associate, have nothing to do with them. On the contrary, he has left us here to go and bring the gospel to them. Have you ever wondered why, when you become a Christian, God doesn't zap you to heaven immediately? I know, for one thing, we're Advent Christians, so that's not compatible with our theology anyway. But setting that aside for a minute, why does he save us and leave us here in this dark, difficult, sinful world? Well, he tells us he leaves us as salt and light. We are preservatives. We are to bring light to darkness. You know, you are here for a purpose. And that purpose requires you to have association with unbelievers, non-Christians, pagans, as the Bible might call them. People who are living such a lifestyle as they're identifiable by their sins. Sexually immoral people, greedy people, swindling people, idolatrous people. Now, Jesus got fussed at for this kind of thing. He ate with tax collectors and sinners, and the religious people are like, what is he doing eating with them? And he said, what do you mean, what am I doing? This is what I am here for as the Christ. I am here as the doctor for sick people, and sick people need a doctor. And then as he left, he left us as the body of Christ with the same job. So to be a faithful Christian means to be engaged with sinful people in the world. He says at the end of verse 10, um, he, says, he says, I did not mean not to associate with the sinful people of this world. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. See, we're meant to be in the world. We're not meant to be of the world, but we're meant to be in the world for a season. For right now, we are in the world. And while we're in the world, we need to be associating with non-Christians. We need to be associating with sinful people, because they are the ones that need the gospel. We are ambassadors for Christ, pleading with people, be reconciled to God. 
And it makes no sense to just plead with people who are already reconciled with God to be reconciled with God. We're meant to be out there, those who are enemies of God, fleeing away from God, pleading with them to be reconciled with God through Jesus Christ. We need to fight the monk mentality that creeps in that says the real mature Christians will insulate themselves from anyone who doesn't know Jesus Christ and will have nothing to do with those kinds of people. No, the really mature Christians are evangelists, and they're out there loving the lost, giving them the gospel. It reminds me of uh, something I heard about within this last year. I can't remember where I heard about it, but a church that the women in the church would drive by a— I'm trying to think of the right way to phrase it with children in the room— a a certain type of place of ill repute uh, in which exotic dancing took place. And the women decided they were going to minister to the people that worked there. And so they camped out outside the door where the staff would enter, and they would give gift baskets to the, the women who would come in and just say, you know, we're Christians, we drive by this place all the time, uh, and we love you guys. We've been praying for you. We just wanted to bless you and meet you. And, and through that kind of ministry, all kinds of doors have opened up for the gospel. And many people have come to Christ, and it's just been a beautiful thing. Um, that's the sort of stuff we want to see. Uh, we, we don't need to circle the wagons and protect ourselves from those who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We need to charge into those territories with the gospel. Now, this is complicated, and it requires a lot of thought. Um, it means we need to carefully think about our, our Christian cultural things where we have, you know, the Christian bookstores and the Christian schools. And my kids go to a Christian school. But we need to think about, is that good? Is that right? Because we're here for a purpose. We're here to be salt and light. Now, we could go into a million different particulars about that, but this isn't the place for that. That house-to-house is a good place for that if you're not a part of a group where you can talk through this and say, well, what would this look like for us? What would this look like for my family with young children? And uh, what would this look like for us as a church and as a house-to-house group, etc.? I hope we can talk about that this week in those groups. But for now, suffice to say, we want our culture as Doolin's Grove to be one in which we are very open and very gracious and very loving and very intentional about pursuing evangelistic service relationships with sinful people of the world. We were once sinful people of the world, and God graciously came and saved us. And now he's given us that job to do. So that's the first thing I want you to notice. We must associate with the ongoing unrepentant sinners of the world. The second thing I want you to notice is we must not associate with the ongoing unrepentant sinners of the church. We must associate, have to do with, the ongoing unrepentant sinners of the world. We must not associate with, have to do with, the ongoing unrepentant sinners of the church. Let me read the rest of the passage, and we can can delve into what I mean by that. Starting at verse 11. First he said, "I, I wrote to you this about not associating with sexually immoral people, and you seem to have thought I meant the people of the world. And now he's clarifying But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, a reveler, a drunkard, or swindler. 
Not even to eat with such a one. The big difference between the two groups, it's not how bad their sins are, it's that one group is claiming to be Christians, and the other group is not. If you bear the name brother, if you bear the name Christian, if you bear the name disciple, suddenly you're in a different category. And now the entire church is responsible for you. And you're no longer out on your own in the world where your sins are your own personal private business. Our, we are all each other's business now. Now, maybe that wasn't explained to you when you became a member of a church or got baptized. But we are all each other's business now. You know, bearing the name of brother used to really mean something. And in certain parts of the world, it really means something. It might mean that you'll be killed for claiming to be a Christian. We happen to live in a culture where it doesn't have to mean anything. Anybody can say I'm a Christian. They're not going to be killed. It used to mean, and it does mean in some places of the world, that when I say I'm a Christian, it means I am taking up my cross every day and dying to myself to follow my Lord Jesus Christ. Not, yeah, my name's on the membership roll at such and such church. I haven't been to in 40 years, but I'm a Christian. It should mean when you bear the name brother that you say like Paul that it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And at the core of this, at the core of our identity as Christians, as disciples, as brothers, as sisters in Christ, is repentance. It's just so fundamental to what it means to be a Christian. Repentance. When Jesus came and first started proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, he said, repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. That means turn from your sinful ways and embrace the cross of Christ and his death for you and new life in Christ. Turning from sin is just so basic to what it means to be a Christian that if you refuse to do it, it really puts into question whether or not you're a Christian at all. When we as a church allow one another to live in ongoing unrepentant sin, we hurt each other, we hurt the church, we hurt the community around us. Now, I don't mean ongoing struggle with sin. We all have ongoing struggles with sin. I don't mean ongoing struggles with temptations to sin. We all have ongoing struggles with temptation to sin. And I don't mean incidences of sin. We all have incidences of sin. I mean an embrace of an ongoing, unrepentant, sinful way of living. An attempt to justify it. An attempt to twist scripture to make it seem as though it's okay. An attempt to quiet the conscience and silence those who might tell us it's sinful so we can just keep living the way we want to live. That is what is unacceptable. If you're going to call yourself a brother, a Christian, a disciple. We have created a great deal of confusion as to what it even means to be a Christian because of our failure here. 
And when I say we, I mean us, all of us Christians, especially us American Christians. We've created so much confusion. So many people think they're Christians, and they're not. I've met so many people since I became a pastor, where as soon as they hear I'm a pastor, they begin to explain to me why they're a Christian, even though they don't go to church, they have no church family, or desire to have a church family. But they're a Christian. Even though they never read the Bible or listen to anyone preach it, and they don't really care what God says in the Bible. But they're a Christian. Even though they don't repent of sin, and they're, they're sleeping with their girlfriend or their boyfriend, and they're getting drunk on the weekends, and they're, they're fine with it. They have no Holy Spirit convicting them of sin. They have no track record of repentance and growth in Christ-likeness. But they're Christians, because probably they're listed on a church membership role somewhere. And it's just so confusing. It's so confusing when it doesn't mean anything to be a Christian. It's so confusing to the church, to people outside of the church. It's just a mess. We have to start loving our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who was brutalized on the cross for us. We have to start loving him enough to take sin within the church this seriously. We have to start loving each other enough that if we see one of us straying off into ongoing unrepentant sin, that we have to say something. We have to do something. You know, I've thought about what this might look like. I mean, here he says the only specific example in this part of the passage he gives is don't even eat with such a one. Now, eating was just so central to what it meant to be in fellowship together as the church. I'm trying to think, well, what does that look like for us um, if we have one, one of us who claims to be a brother, claims to be a Christian, baptized member of Doolin's Grove Church who just goes off into ongoing unrepentant sin, what does it mean to not associate with them, not even to eat with them? Does it mean if they come to the Sunday morning breakfast and they sit down beside us that we just noisily scrape our chair out from under us and go sit at another table? I don't think that's what it would look like. I think, I think it would look like a, a long, loving, intentional process before it got to the point of excommunication, basically, and shunning. I think at first it would look like, I know you and I love you, and I see that it looks like you're starting to embrace the sin in your life. And you know what the Bible says. It says right here that this is sin. I don't think you, I don't know if you see it or not, but I love you too much to let you go this direction. And it may be, they may respond with self-justification or anger. But out of love, you can't drop it. And out of love, you get to the point where you can't just share a meal with them. They know that that's what you're thinking about. They know that your heart is broken over their sin. If they are believers, they've got the Holy Spirit pounding away at them. So what I tend to see happen is not what I described in the fellowship hall. It's people slipping out of fellowship with the church because it, the heat is starting to rise. People are starting to notice sin in their lives. Pastor Matt is starting to call them and try to schedule lunches. And so they start slipping away. And the first thing that happens is they say, well, I'm going to this other church now. 
Matt and I have talked about this. One of the things that hurts us the most here in terms of loving each other in this way is how easy it is to just hop churches. So if the heat picks up here, if you're living in ongoing unrepentant sin here and your brothers and sisters start to surround you with love and and confrontation, you just go down the road to the other church. And they're so thankful to get a new member, you're in. And Matt and I have talked about, he said that he used to, and I've decided I probably will too, if someone's transferring in, not only do you ask them, why are you leaving your original church, but may I call that pastor and talk to him before embracing someone in membership? And I think that's, I think that's good. I think I'm going to start doing that. And I don't mean that we need to have this ongoing witch hunt where we're just like, just scanning, looking, hoping to find sin in each other so we can blast each other. I don't mean that at all. I mean, we need to know each other and love each other enough that when we see ongoing unrepentant sin starting to, sh- to creep in, you start to see the flags, that we move toward it. And that we don't pretend it's not there out of politeness. But that we know each other and love each other on a level that we can talk about these things together. I think of it kind of like the immune system. You know, in the body of Christ, we are the immune system. And we need to function properly. We need to love each other this way. Now, my immune system is not going to attack the diseases that are hurting your body. It's an eternal immune system. And within the body of Christ, we're not meant to attack and rail against and fuss and and shout about the sins of those outside of Christ. You know, of course they're enslaved to sin. We're still trying to shake off the shackles of sin, and we have Christ. We just need to have compassion and love and an urgent desire to share the gospel with people who don't know Christ. We don't need to be shaking our heads at them. And But when it's within us, that's when we need to address it. So, my closing encouragement would be, any energy that you currently are expending... Um, griping about the sins of those outside of the body of Christ. Redirect that energy. It's good that you notice that it's sin, but redirect that energy to uh, a loving evangelism for those outside of the body of Christ. And redirect that energy toward your own personal holiness and, and guarding yourself against the hypocrisy of railing against those people's sins while you're embracing and justifying your own sins. And redirect that energy toward your brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, and there's only so much that that like that I can do to facilitate this. Um, yeah, I, I wish that I was such a brilliant programmatic strategist that I could I could whip up a weekly, monthly, yearly church schedule that would have you in the deepest, richest fellowship. But the fact is, I can't make that happen. Uh, even if I was a brilliant strategist, all I could provide for you are opportunities for it. I could try to facilitate it. But ultimately, it takes you looking over and seeing him or her and saying, my brother, my sister in Christ, you know, I love you. How are you doing? How are you really doing? Oh, that's going on? Well, let me pray for you now. Let me pray for you this week. Let's get coffee on Tuesday and talk more about it. I just want to listen to you and hear what's going on. I want to get to know you, and I want you to get to know me. Um, 
we just have to do that as people. You know, even us, we're such a small church. Uh, even us, we slip into this thing where we come and attend and leave. And it, it's silly. You know, we're just flesh and blood people that desperately need this kind of real Christian fellowship together. I love to hear, um, just overhear that people have been hanging out in the church. Um, apart from anything that like the church has designed to make you hang out. I love to hear that. But even that isn't good enough, though. What I really love to hear is um, of uh, developing real relationships among you. I want to see more of that among us. And we're small enough. You know, large churches, elevations have their advantages. But one advantage we have is we could really genuinely get to know just about every single person involved with this church. There's no reason to come and, and, and sit on one extreme of the sanctuary and, and maybe give a how do you do to someone on the way out and then never think of them again until next Sunday. We could be praying for each other, thinking about each other, sharing meals together, just, just casually brought about meals together. Really getting to know each other, really praying for one another. Let's do that. We're in Christ together. We're brothers. We're sisters. Let's live like that. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for all the rich and lavish and gracious blessings you've given us as Christians. Help us to share those together. Lord, give us your heart and eyes for those who are lost, who don't know you out there in the world, just drowning in a sea of sin and wickedness and consequences. Or help us to, to wade out there and pull back as many people as we can get our hands on. Or give us just an unrelenting love for the people around us, a Christ-like love for the people around us, a love that will override our timidity about sharing the gospel. Uh, make it where we just cannot help ourselves but to talk to people on the heart level, the soul level, find out where people are at, apply the gospel to those deep places. Or may we never be a people that gripe about the sins of those in the world. May we be a people that just openly, obviously love the sinners of this world with the gospel. And may we love each other. May we love each other enough to really get to know each other and to address sin when we see it arising in each other. Or if there is any ongoing unrepentant sin in me, I pray that you would purge it out of me, that you would bring it to my attention and the attention of, of my wife, of all everybody that knows me. If there's any ongoing unrepentant sin in any of us, Lord, bring it to the surface. Help us to purge the evil from among us. Let us not be hypocrites. Let us not be hypocrites. In Jesus' name, amen.